Pachango. Happy 2024, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Tangentially Speaking, yet another episode. Can you believe it? For someone who is not known for his consistency, I'm amazed I've been doing this for so long. It must mean I like it. And I do. I think maybe the greatest luxury one can have in life is to not do things one doesn't enjoy doing. I mean, what can be better than that, right? I think that's why people tell themselves they're making lots of money, right? That fuck you money, fuck you, I don't want to do that. But then they never say fuck you, do they? Because by the time they get the money, often they've lost that ability, Um, because now they're part of the, the money crew, And the money crew does not say no thanks and walk away. There's a great story by Herman Melville called Bartleby the Scrivener. It's a a long, short story. Uh, I was going to read it in the book club, and I looked it up, and it's like 80 pages or something. It's a long, short story. But it's essentially about a person who doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. And he... The refrain in the book is uh, people ask him to do this and do that. And he just says, I'd prefer not to. It's an interesting, uh, interesting way to think about life. How many times would I would prefer not to have been the correct response to, you know, whatever invitation, whatever job offer, whatever date, whatever solicitation, uh, we're constantly being pulled in directions that uh, if you really pause for a minute, you'd probably prefer not to move in. In any case, this podcast is something I really enjoy, and I thank every one of you for giving me another year of this. I don't know when it'll end. I might just do it, you know, right up until I croak. Wouldn't it be great if I croaked on air? Like if I just sort of like, you know, tumbled over into the microphone and Anya or whoever is around at the time sees that the recording's going and decides to upload it. I think that would be so awesome. Has anyone ever died on a podcast? There's an incredible podcast that my friend Jake Johansson turned me on two years ago. Um, Oh, uh, what's his name? The the comedian who lives down in uh, Bisbee, uh, Arizona. Uh, I'm not remembering his name right now, but uh, Doug Stanhope. I just paused and looked that up. I thought that was more professional than uh, just saying I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, Doug Stanhope um, does this podcast where he's hanging out with a few friends um, a couple who live in the guest house behind the house and, and I think a neighbor, you know, whatever. 
And they're talking about how the woman in this couple that lives behind the house is going to go have surgery. And I guess it's not a major surgery. It's, you know, it's, it's surgery, but it's not um, a real big deal. And they're talking about it and they kind of laugh, you know, like, hey, what if she dies? What if you die? You know, like uh, next week we'll be back and, you know, you'll be, you won't be here. <laughs> anyway, the next episode she has died and I won't tell you anything else about it um, because there are, there are other twists and turns in the story. Um, But it's one of the most extraordinary things I've ever listened to because the weight of the tragedy is so intense. And yet, the way they are dealing with it is through laughter. And I think it's so important to understand that laughter doesn't mean you're making light of something. Um, That's something I've always understood because I guess my family, I don't know if it's an Irish Catholic thing or what, but funerals among the Irish Catholic, in my experience anyway, are times of laughter and levity. And it's an honor to the the deceased to have friends and family um, finding humor in the situation. And, and I do think it's a human thing as well. I think there's something, uh, there's some survival mechanism in finding humor in tragedy. I don't know exactly how to explain it, and I'm tempted to say it's the unique human trait. Uh, Everyone's always pointing to something or other as the unique human trait. But I don't know. I I, I guess other animals have a sense of humor. I feel like horses goof, goof on us sometimes, and dogs and cats, and there's definitely a playfulness and a like not taking oneself seriously goofiness in in some animals. Um, but I wonder, I don't know if there's a sort of that ironic, tragic comic sensibility that we have. Um, but in any case, that if if you want to delve into something really unique, look up that those two episodes of the Doug Stanhope podcast. I'm, I'm sure if you just Google, you know, friend dies, Doug Stanhope podcast, the, the episodes will come up anyway. Uh, it's 2024. Holy shit. 2024. I was born in 1962. Not to get an old man on you, but I remember when like the idea of the year 2000 was a wild fantasy in the future somewhere. Like someday, someday it's going to be the year 2000. Wow, what's my life going to be like then? I'll be 38 years old. I'll be so grown up. I'll be so old. I'll I'll be married and have five kids and a house and a lawnmower and a station wagon. And none of that shit happened. I mean, not, I guess I got married kind of, but not. Not the way I was picturing it. Yeah. So the year 2000. Uh, Pretty crazy. 
Anyway, 2024, it's going to be a wild ride. A lot is happening. Uh, I'm told that there's some weird planetary shit, like Pluto is, is moving into the house of Aquarius. I don't know what that means, but boiled down, I'm told it means shit's going to get crazy. And every time Pluto goes into, I don't know if it's into another house or into Aquarius or whatever, like it's World War II, it's the Civil War, it's this, it's that. So there's like a cyclical thing that appears to line up. Um, And Peter Turchin has an interesting book, uh, I think it's called End Times, where he looks at uh, historical cycles. And his uh, cyclical analysis, which is very scientific, sort of the opposite of yammering about Pluto, um, also suggests that we are in an extreme time of, a time of extreme instability. Uh, and yeah, clearly a moment of truth appears to be approaching very, very quickly. Uh, you can, you know, it's like going down a river in a raft and you can just hear that waterfall. You can, you can smell the water vapor in the air. Uh, so yeah, we're headed for some rocky, rocky ride and, um, Buckle in and hold on to each other because the only way we're going to get through this is together. It's the only way we ever get through anything. And the beauty of tragedy is that it brings us together. You know, you've heard me talk about this many times in many different conversations. The Paradise Built in Hell book by Rebecca Solnit that where she talks with disaster sociologists and the consensus is that people remember times of tragedy as the best times in their lives. So that's the bright side. We are headed for some crazy shit, but if we use the opportunity wisely, uh, the crazy shit will bring us together, strengthen our sense of community, clarify what's important and what isn't. And um, and we'll get through it just fine. We'll be better than we were before. Because let's face it, normality kind of sucks. The, the status quo kind of sucks for a lot of people in many different ways. Even the most fortunate among us are living lives that are devoid of meaning, health, you know, way too much stress, eating too much shit. Let's stop eating shit and stressing out and let's sleep and love and laugh and have a good time in 2024. Enjoy the ride, everybody. All right. This podcast episode is with a cool dude I met uh, totally serendipitously uh, a couple of months ago now, I guess. His name's Nick Chisari. And uh, I didn't really know when I met him that he listened to the podcast. This all sort of came to light uh, as we got to know each other. I met him through a friend of a friend kind of situation, and we talk about it in the conversation, so I'll spare you the details now. Um, But it turns out he's been listening to the podcast for years, and he is a real adventurer. He's He's a very humble guy, very uh, soft-spoken, and um, he's not a guy who's, you know, trumpeting his accomplishments. But 
I convinced him to come on the podcast and, and talk about particularly his time in Antarctica. He's been there, I think, nine seasons. Um, maybe it was eight, but a couple of winters and I think seven summers. Um, he was also posted out on some island in the middle of nowhere, this atoll in the middle of the, of the Pacific, doing some scientific research out there. Um, anyway, he's he's a cool dude. And and I love these these episodes where the guest comes from the audience. You know, it's someone who's been on the other side of this all these years, and now he's come over to this side of all the cables and uh, and the software. And uh, I love it. Uh, I really love it. I wish I could. I wish I could have every one of you listening to this come on the podcast. That would be like such an awesome life project, you know, to just go one to the next and, and, uh, sort of, we all share our stories with each other because let's face it, we're all audience, right? We're all each other's audience. We're all each other's guest. We're all each other's hosts. I mean, we all play these roles in our lives. If you want to follow Nick on Instagram, he's on there. His, uh, Instagram handle I don't know. It looks Hawaiian. I'm not sure what it is. It's Lalunakaimana. Lalunakaimana. L-A-L-U-N-A-K-A-I-M-A-N-A. I'll put it in the show notes as well. I'll put a link to it. Uh, He's got some great photos. He's a good photographer. He's got a good eye. Um, Anyway, hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick Chisari, and uh, I'm going to play you in with a song somebody sent me recently. It's a beautiful song, and my apologies to you if you're the person who sent this to me. Um, things just get... My, my inbox is a fucking cesspool of confusion. Um, anyway, this song is called uh, This Is a Photograph, and it's by someone named Kevin Morby. And it's a beautiful song. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's really touching. And, uh, and the lyrics are lovely and the video is very cool. So I'll also put the video in the show notes. All right. This is another commercial free, uh, no paywall. Everybody's welcome to the party episode supported by brought to you by the people who support the podcast there are roughly a thousand of you and i really appreciate every one of you who's helping to fund this weird ass little project we've got going here i've got a bunch of episodes in the can um I don't know what happened. I just, over the holidays, uh, met a lot of really interesting people and have been recording pretty much not every day. Um, so I'm going to bring you some really good episodes uh, in 2024, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. And we're starting off with a bang. Nick Chisari, dude who has been to the ends of the earth and back. And hopefully he's going to be moving to Crestone before long. So that's uh, super cool. All right, everybody. This is this is a photograph by Kevin Morby. And then my conversation with Nick Chisari. Hope you're doing well. Hope you got through the holidays okay. And you're ready to get back in the saddle. 
This is a photograph, a window to the past of your father on the front line with no shirt on, ready to take the world on beneath the West Texas sun. The year that you were born, the year that you are now. His wife behind the camera, his daughter and his baby boy. Got a glimmer in his eye. See me say, this is what I miss after I die. And this is what I miss about being alive. My body. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Chris. It's awesome to be here in Crestone and enjoying all of this nature and mountain views here. It's pretty funny how this came to be. And this is one of my favorite kind of podcast situations where just weird sort of serendipitous steps that kind of lead. So let's see if we trace it back. So Lily... Listen to Anya's podcast, was a regular listener, and maybe two years ago, we were up in Idaho, 
And Anya said to me, hey, this woman named Lily listens to my podcast. She's she's in Idaho and wanted to know if we wanted to get together. And she seems super cool and chill. And what do you think? And and we said, yeah, okay. Like, we're going to this hot springs here. And we were in the middle of fucking nowhere. And tell her about the hot springs. And she showed up. And we I think that's where we met her the first time in these beautiful hot springs outside of Stanley, Idaho. And then, so then what? So then, and then we saw her a couple other times uh, with some friends. She was traveling around. So we got to be friends with Lily. And then you pick it up from here. So you met Lily online or something? Yep. So we we met online in Santa Fe while I was uh, off of ice, off of a contract, just coming back from... Traveling in New Zealand for two months. I did a month on the South Island and a month on the North Island. Like hiking? Yeah. Ah, cool. Mostly hiking, just being a vagabond, um, really checking out all there is to offer out there. Like, you know, stopping by all the waterfalls and um, all of the coastlines. And on the North Island, I drove through the surf coast highway from Mm. starts at the top and goes all the way down the west coast of the north island and like there's awesome surf beaches there and did a little surfing by no means am i any good at surfing but i love to get on a like a soft top foam board and you know attempt to stand up on some waves right yeah and then let's see yeah head home because i got about a month left before I'm supposed to go back to Antarctica for like my ninth contract. And That's right, folks. You heard it, Antarctica for my ninth contract. <laughs> <laughs> so that, we'll we'll get to that. So so okay, you, you're back in home, being Santa Fe. Yeah, home right. base is Santa Fe. You know, quote unquote home. Did you grow up there in the Southwest? I grew up in the Southwest, but grew up in Texas. Oh, okay. In El Paso, Texas. Right. Down so, on the border. Yeah. I might not look like it, you know, from uh, just by looking, but definitely have a little bit of country roots in me <laughs> from being from Texas. Right. And um, I would say the majority of my, like, half, you know, majority of my recent life, 20 years, has been in New Mexico. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, New Mexico's home. So you meet Lily, you guys get together, hanging out, have dinner a few times, and she's talking about Crestone. Yeah. And you've heard of Crestone. I haven't heard of Crestone. You hadn't heard of Crestone. Uh-uh. Okay. Until Lily told me about it. All right. Yeah. And she's telling you about some friends who do podcasts up there or something? Yeah, we were we were having dinner. It was like, I don't know, maybe second or third date. And... We started talking and she started talking about friends that she had in Crestone. And she started talking about this doctor who has a podcast. And I was like, hold on, hold on. And I like stopped her mid conversation. I said, like, are you talking about Dr. Christopher Ryan? (laughs) And she's like, we both kind of stopped and did that, you know, (laughs) stare at each other. Like, yep. Like that serendipitous moment kind of thing. Right. And I was like, well, you know, I started talking about, how I've been listening to you for years and years and years and like love listening to your podcast. And it's, you know, a lot of your aromas got me through some hard times being in isolated environments. Mm. You know, it was like having 
almost a f- outsider friend to talk to, even though I was just listening, but uh, just always had good advice that really changed my perspective and mental state from where I was in these isolated environments, you know? That's awesome, man. I, and I, I didn't mean to like turn the podcast to, to me, but I just think it's, it's really cool how those connections happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then here, now here you are, you guys came up to visit Crestone and, and we're hanging out and you're on the podcast. So there's a nice closing of a circuit there. Yeah. Definitely like a positive feedback loop there from meeting Lily. And then, you know, I did go back to Antarctica. I was supposed to be there until February of 2024. And then I had to come back for a family emergency, which brought me back. And then the timing of it, you know, it was like a double-edged sword. It was a family emergency, but then also Lily and I got to reconnect. Mm. And, you know, the rest is kind of history from there. I've only been back about two-ish weeks, maybe three weeks. And so short, much. So short history. But, yeah. But it's history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, did the family situation work out okay? Yeah. Um, you know, my grandmother, who's been probably, you know, number one in my entire life for a long time, you know, she's hanging on the edge there of, you know, passing away into the next life. And so I wanted to be there for her in case that happens while she was going through her surgery. And she's doing good right now. Um, But uh, yeah, still keeping a close eye on my phone for, you know, emergency text messages and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's hard to be far away when stuff gets tough like that. It's yeah, it's good if you have enough flexibility in your life that you can sort of come and be there when it's really important. That's a it's a nice thing. Not a lot a lot of people don't have that, right? It's like uh, got to be at work Monday morning. Can't take a day off. Yep. Sorry about your grandma, but you know these yeah. boxes aren't going to move themselves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's uh that's one of those things we don't, I think, often include in our calculations when we're looking at jobs and this and that. Like, because if it had been a couple months later, you're not going anywhere, right? Exactly. Like, you know, I could have been down there <clears throat> and something catastrophic could have happened and that would have been it. You know, in that place, Antarctica, it's always going to be there. You know, I didn't, you know, leave with a black eye or burn any bridges. Um, it's always going to be there, you know. I could take 10 years off and come back and it's still hopefully going to be there. <laughs> Is it the kind of thing where having done it a few times, like having you've been through a few winters and like what, what was it? Seven summers and two winters or something like that. Yeah. About seven summers, two full winters, which is basically the austral summer is the opposite of the Northern hemisphere. So October is the start of their summer. And right. summer goes from October. Oh, right. It's summer there now. So, yeah. Yeah. So summer you wouldn't have now. been trapped. Now you would have been trapped in July. Yep. Yeah. And so, so having done that, does that, like, like you say, it'll always be there. You can always go back. Is that because you've been through it? So they're like, oh, we want to hire this guy. He knows what he's getting into as opposed to this guy who just thinks it's going to be cool, but he might freak out. Yeah. After a month. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people 
we get a lot of people like that who get down there and they are not ready for the isolation and the cold weather and Antarctica is trying to kill you, you know, every day. That continent is harsh. It's trying to kill you. If you step outside of the the safe haven, which is the base, and you get lost on the ice shelf or even on one of the hiking trails, like the potential to die is a real thing. And so yeah. people think it's like a Disneyland almost, but it's still one of the harshest places in the world to be as far as like the toll it takes on the human body. So how does that manifest? Um, you say they're hiking trails, which sort of surprised me. Is that just because people need to move and just get that energy out? I imagine there are gyms and treadmills and stuff like that. There's some really good hiking trails, some short ones for beginners that go up this pyramid-looking mountain that people see online and they're like they actually think it's a pyramid you mm. know from some ancient civilization right? right conspiracy stuff but it's just the way the wind has formed it over the years that it looks like a pyramid um you can hike to the top of that get these 360 views of the ice shelf uh very beautiful so there's like that one that takes 30 minutes up 30 minutes down and then there's a hiking trail that's like nine miles you know out and back Kind and is stuff. this ice all year round or does it ice over in winter and, and it's rock in the summer? The ice shelf, the Ross ice shelf will melt out in the summer and the ice will break away and then it'll come back as it gets colder and start to freeze again. Um, the town, McMurdo, is actually an island. It's a volcanic island oh. and it's just volcanic dust. You know, it's like it's a dust bowl. It's, it looks like an old mining town, right? you know, nothing growing, nothing growing. So you, uh, the, the station is McMurdo, the biggest station and on Antarctica. Yeah. McMurdo is one of the three bases for the U S and it's also the largest out of all the other countries that have bases there that are part of the treaty. Um, not saying that bigger is better, but you know, in the typical American fashion, got to have the biggest, right? And it's primarily for scientific research? Yep. Is there defense stuff going on there as well? There's no defense, like, military stuff going on down there. There's a military presence. The Air Force and the Guard have a presence there. They have a contract with the NSF to get people from McMurdo to their field camps and like places where you need skis to land. And so they'll um, take them out to these field camps to do their research. I see. Um, and then from New Zealand, uh, Christchurch, New Zealand is our, our hub where everybody meets up before we fly down mm. a big, uh, military C-17 aircraft takes us to the base. There's right. also other airframes. So they've got a long runway there. Yep. For yeah. C-17 to land. Yep, it's a two-mile runway called Phoenix, oh. and it's the only compacted ice runway in the world. Wow. Wow. So let's talk about just what life is like there. Like, So you're doing the like contracting work. You're, you're, we're a foreman on the... Yep. On a, a what it was it or expansion or renovation? What, what kind of work was it? 
it was called, well, it still is called the AIMS project. A-I-M-S is the acronym and it stands for the Antarctic Infrastructure Modernization for Science. So it's basically tearing down the whole station and rebuilding to make it modern because uh-huh. the facilities there and the buildings are from the 70s and 80s and right. 90s. and Kind of haphazard. Really shows. Right. So you're, you're doing basic infrastructure stuff like plumbing, electrical, uh, heating, HVAC systems. Um, that wasn't stuff I was doing. There was a separate contractor that was hired to do the more of the, the labor work, stuff like that, when they're building new um, structures and stuff. My responsibility was more to oversee heavy equipment operations to mostly deliver like very big bulk items to them, like concrete foundations, uh, managing like crane operators and crane operations, stuff mm. like that. So you get stuff primarily prefab brought in. You're not pouring concrete and mixing because I guess the temperature would be weird there for that a lot of the year. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that. There was definitely talks about that, how logistically it would be way smarter to do that. But all this prefab, like concrete floor slabs and utilidors came in from vessel. Mm. You know, like so they're shipped in, not yeah. flown in, right? Okay, so uh, okay, you so you're down there. You got a job. You're getting paid. Where do you spend money, or does it just go into <laughs> a bank account? And I mean, is there like a local currency, or are there actual stores that you go buy stuff, or how's that work? So it's still we use the dollar system. Um, there's an ATM there, which is funny. <laughs> you can pull money out of the ATM, right? And you could go to the little gift shop, and you can buy T-shirts or you know little souvenirs and stuff, and then snacks. And then if you want to buy like tobacco or like cigarettes, stuff like that, some booze, some champagne, wine. There's a we're on a ration system, so you get to buy a ration once a week, and you know make it last buy your tobacco if you want. So there's a very, very small amount of things you can choose from that would, you know, just get you by enough to make you happy down there. So extras, the food and drink basic stuff is covered. That's like part of the contract. Yeah. Housing, um, food is covered. So you literally have no expenses there unless right. you want to spend money. You right. don't have to spend money to, to live there. Right. Food's covered. Lodging's covered. Uh, and is the pay like for a comparable kind of gig in, in New Mexico? Is it comparable pay, but better because your expenses are covered or there's that mm-hmm. trade off, you know, like if you don't have any strings attached back home, you can save a lot of money. Right. Right. I could be making a lot more doing the same thing outside of that place. But right. the fact that you're able to save all that money, leave the continent after you're done, you're in New Zealand and you can just be like, I'm going to go travel. Right. I'm in a great location. I can go to. I got 10 grand I can burn and I'll be breaking even. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like guys who work on oil rigs or ships or something. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of. And uh, how long's the average contract? Average contract is usually from October to the end of February, which is the main body season. That's the usual contract. I 
took it a little bit further because I enjoyed staying later after everybody left because it kind of felt like everybody's gone. You can kind of breathe again. You know, you get to have the feeling of the having the place to yourself. Mm. And the views, like, after February are just spectacular. What happens? What's changing? So the sun starts going down because the sun from October to February is in the sky 24-7. It's just circles around the sky. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, slowly starts coming down after February, and you get these amazing sunsets. The sky's on fire. Mm. Like, you've never seen it before. Um, the sun reflecting off the ice shelf creates these awesome colors. Um, the weather starts picking up. You get a little bit more storms coming in. The stars start coming out again, so you mm. get the auroras and all the constellations in the southern hemisphere. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful place um, to be there that time of year. So yeah. I always extended my contract mainly just for that, you know. You can just extend it a month or two. Yeah. And and what about animals? I mean, I guess they're penguins, and but most of it's in the ocean, right? There's not a lot of terrestrial stuff, birds. Yeah, no... Um, Nothing is native to Antarctica. We get migratory birds, um, skuas, which is like a a seagull on steroids. Mm. They're like a they're a predatory bird. Mm. They will dive bomb you if they see you with food. If really? you get too close to their nest, they will like dive bomb you and brush up against you and <laughs> like they got razor sharp beaks and it's right. like you know war zone if you get too close to them. Huh. Um, there's a couple other birds. Um, Sku is the main one you'll see. And then we get Adelie penguins that come in, which are these cute little, little ones. Yeah. The little ones, yeah. Do you get the emperors? Emperors come by also. I, I always imagine when I see those nature documentaries with the penguins, I imagine it stinks like hell. Penguin shit everywhere. Penguin shit smells horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're eating fish all the time. Yep. So it's that rotten krill fish smell right you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's one of those things that's like great on it's great visuals but if you're actually there walruses too wow they stink <laughs> and their breath and bleh, you know they burp and stuff yeah yeah disney did not put that in their movies right so they didn't have that yeah they left that out <laughs> yeah the smell scratch and sniff um it, it, and w- the food, is it all uh, flown in? Is, is anyone fishing or throwing nets in the ocean or anything? Not that like we could do for sustenance. The waters around Antarctica are protected, you know, thank God, because it's one of the last places in the world that is almost untouched by humans. Mm. You know, it's almost pristine. Um, we can't fish or throw nets out there, but there are fisheries outside of the, you know, the protected zone, mostly for krill. Antarctic krill is a big thing. Which is what, like uh, animal feed or something? Um, it's supplements. Like I've seen, you know, supplements in the store that's like Antarctic krill. Oh, you I know, th- like but, omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. yeah right. Um, right. So yeah, you get Adelis, emperors for penguins, and then whales. You get killer whales that'll come in. Um, you get minky whales that are pretty common to see and one type of another whale, but I've never seen them myself, but people say they've seen them. Um, yeah, but killer whale, there's this one killer, killer whale named 
Mike the killer well, and they've always spotted him coming in every season because on his dorsal fin, there's like a unique kind of birthmark on him. Mm. And so they've tracked him for years coming in, you know, feeding and doing his thing and coming back out. And what would they be feeding on? Seals? I believe they eat seals. I don't think they mess with penguins. I know they eat um, salmon in Alaska, but there are no salmon down there, are there? No. Yeah. There's some strange creatures under the ocean there. There's like sea spiders. Oh, There's yeah. some weird looking fish that have almost like like coolant for your car, like for right. in their blood that keeps them warm in those, you know, almost freezing temperatures underwater. There's some strange creatures down there. You ever dive down there? Never dove down there. Mm. Um, there is this cool thing we'll do in summer where we'll drill a hole in the sea ice and we'll put an observation tube. Uh-huh. So you can walk out on the sea ice, go down into the observation tube, which is like a 360 plexiglass oh, view underwater. That's awesome. Like an elevator that goes down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And you and are there lights outside it or anything? Um, no lights outside. So you can get the light from the sea ice, which is like just a little bit coming through, but mostly it's it's still dark under there. And you can see if you like if you're really quiet, you can see seals start swimming by, and you can hear their clickings they right. do to communicate, and they do this like alien sound to each other. Yeah. And you can do it in the ob tube kind of mimic it and they'll answer back to you really because they're they're territorial with their breathing holes so if they hear that they want to know who's by their breathing hole and so they'll kind of call back to be like who are you you know why are you in my territory kind of thing and what the fuck is wrong with your voice (laughs) (laughs) why are you calling me in that weird (laughs) accent yeah yeah, last night we were talking about the Werner Herzog movie, Encounters at the End of the World. I remember there's a, a scene uh, where he's out with the scientists who study some of these seals, and, and, and he's got them like all sort of like crouching with their ears to the ice. It turned out they couldn't actually hear anything, but he was superimposing the recordings that they had made with uh, the microphones submersed oh, yeah. in the water. And yeah, it's... It sounds like something off a Pink Floyd album. It's <laughs> totally. Really spacey. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned there was a film that you you thought was better or gave a better sense. What was it called? It was. It's called A Year on Ice. And it was from a guy who did a year, but he was from the New Zealand base, Scott base, which is only about a 20-minute drive from McMurdo. Drive. So drive. There, so there's yeah. a road or is yep. this just overland? snow buggy or something they're still on the island so you can take a wheeled vehicle there you could actually hike there too and walk there if you want but uh he did a whole year and he documented his whole time and Mm. i i would say it's a way better modern take on life there the science that goes on there the changing of the seasons and what happens to uh, people, you know, when the season starts changing, the sun goes down and it's dark for three months. So let's talk about that. What what uh, kinds of changes have you seen in people or what kinds of challenges uh, does someone face who wants to, to pass a winter in Antarctica? The, the main one I've seen, and it affects usually everybody, is the lack of vitamin D. Mm. So you get 
T3 syndrome, seasonal depression. Um, you know, you start kind of mumbling your words. You start forgetting small things. Uh, it's really good to write sticky notes. So you'll see people with sticky notes all over just to be like, you know, remember to do that. Remember to do that. Um, people get very, some people get closed off and they want to be by themselves. They get this. Are cat. you taking supplements or are there lamps or anything to address this? There, people can bring down their like vitamin D lamps. I have done that before. I didn't find it worked super well. Uh, people will supplement with vitamins and stuff like that. But right. what happens to you psychologically when your body doesn't have the sun is just, it's crazy. It's definitely not healthy. Um, there was a study done one winter when I was there. It was a NASA study, and they were trying to find out how humans interact with each other in isolated, dark environments for long periods of time. So each week we would document our thoughts, right? And, you know, just write a little email to yourself or whatever. And then at the end of the season, they would get sent into NASA. And I remember my friend who I was working with let me read all of his emails through mm -hmm. the weeks. And it just slowly goes from, you know, things are good, I can handle this, things are okay, to, like, just slowly devolves into, like, like mental anguish almost. Like, mm. people kind of go crazy down there. And, and do they go crazy the same ways? Or does everyone go crazy in their own unique way? I mean, is it, like, generally depression, sluggishness, you were saying, some, some of the physical... Uh, ailments or, or manifestations of this um is there a commonality in the psychological side as well or is that more all over the place it's kind of all over the place you know different people will act different ways um but you learn to figure out what people's boundaries are real quick in the winter and you you know make sure you, you know you're not stepping on their toes or messing with somebody that would set them off, you know, that's mm. the last thing you want when there's no flights coming in and out is interpersonal drama. Right. You, know, you want to try to keep the peace as much as you can. There's no pressure relief valve. No. Yeah. You can't even go for a fucking long walk without risking your life. Yeah. Like you're, you, if you wanted to walk in winter, like you could do it, you're bundled up, but you know, it's dark, it's cold. You want to probably go back inside pretty, pretty soon after you go back out in the winter. How cold does it get? It gets, you know, I've seen temperatures on the extreme during a condition one storm, you know, get to negative 80, 90, 100 with the wind chill. Can you breathe in that <laughs> kind of cold or is it just freeze your nose? It's hard to breathe. It feels like, you know, when the wind picks up and is blowing snow at you that you're getting sandblasted. Right. It is hard to breathe for sure. Um, it's not fun. They're definitely... They're basically frozen hurricanes that come in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they get pretty serious, too. They'll, they'll rattle the buildings they're in, and they'll pick up projectiles and, you know, make them potentially deadly if they you got hit by a two-by-four that's flying in the air, and they'll throw stuff around. How big is the island? Ooh, the island is, I would say, 
maybe about five, 10 miles, square miles. Oh, small. Small. And so during the summer, it's cut off from the mainland and then it ices a bridge in the winter or is it always cut off? Uh, In the summer, if the sea ice is broken out, you could take these tracked vehicles out to the actual continent. Um, But in the summer, if there's just, you know, if the sea ice is blown out, you'd have to take helicopters to the actual continent. Right. Like that's a thing that everybody goes through is like it, they say, if you've been to McMurdo, you haven't been to the actual continent because it's it's an island. Right. Right. Um, but I don't think that's true. I say if you've been to McMurdo, you've been to Antarctica before. It's like people say Manhattan is an island off the coast of America. Eh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get to McMurdo, I'd say you get you get the stamp in your passport. Right. Yeah. And like logistically, who... Like, what's law enforcement, medical stuff, rescue operations? Like, who's who's running the show there? So it's kind of like Crestone in a way where... Oh, nobody. There, there's no there's no <laughs> law enforcement. Chaos, really? <laughs> but you said they shut down the, you know, they shut down the bar, they shut down the greenhouse because someone was growing weed or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, who shut it down? Yeah, you know, so that probably got out by word of mouth and somebody didn't like that and it just went up the chain and you know and they investigated it and shut it down and what is what's that chain is that a scientific organization or a government organization or military the chain that would have the power to do that would be you know there's station management there and the station manager is actually also like a deputized marshal so he's the only one or she is the only one on station that is legally allowed to have like a firearm. Okay, I was going to ask that. Yeah. So there's one firearm on the station. Allegedly. O- officially. Well, no one's ever seen it, but... <laughs> oh, you never pulled it, never had to... <laughs> I've never seen it. People say there is, some people say there's not. So there's kind of that legend around does... It's probably good to leave it mysterious. Yeah. Uh, so if if, like, let's say there's... You know, something goes missing or there's an assault. Somebody gets beat up. Who handles that? So if something like that would happen, um, say if there was like a physical altercation that broke out, you know, usually station station management will get involved, um, separate the people. They could restrain them, you know, in like maybe a straitjacket if they needed to. Is there a jail cell? There's no actual like holding cell there's places oh. where you could do that mm-hmm. um i don't know how legal that would be but um there's definitely places you could hold somebody right there if they actually just went off their rocker and went crazy um the community would do like a citizen's arrest kind of thing and i'm sure people would like get involved and get that person away from the community and then they would do like a con air mission from new zealand and get that person out of there if they can if they can if it's june you're stuck with that guy yeah and so that's happened before Mm. there was uh, a mutiny at the south pole station one year where some people went crazy and they blocked off like a whole section of the south pole station and just took over it and you can't you're you're stuck there for months you know to get there 
What the fuck? So this is this is American. This station. Yeah, the South Pole. One station. of three American. Yep. Bases, right? Yeah. So these are scientists, or, or was this the like a construction outfit? Or there is scientists that work down there in the winter um, doing different projects like South Pole Telescope and Ice Cube, but this happened with more of the blue collar people workforce that kind of had their mutiny um, over. What conditions? I believe you know it was. It was involving a woman on station. And I was gonna say, like, how, what's the man to woman ratio down there? Uh, typically, it's like thirty percent female population, seventy percent male population, and then there's some people who, you know, identify as um, something outside of that, a small population. Really? Yeah. Non-binary. Yep. Right. Uh, are there any trans people in Antarctica that you've seen? Yeah, there's a few that I've met. Um, and you know, it's a good community and everybody's respectful of, of that. And you know, you're free to be yourself there. Um, that's amazing. I remember I was bartending because the bars were open. This was a few years ago and I was bartending and I had my playlist going and one of the, the, the trans a person came over to order a drink and like on the playlist Aerosmith dude looks dude looks like a lady came on the radio and I was like do I let it go do I stop it and I was just like nah let it go it's fine yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well and I, I don't know the lyrics to that particular song but uh first time I really had any awareness of of trans people I think was the song um Oh shit! What's it? I can't remember it now. I hate this. This is like one of the signs of getting older when you're like already into the sentence and you realize you don't know where it ends. Um, oh, it's it's this famous song from the '70s about the. I'll think of it in a minute. And and half the people listening to the podcast are like, "Yeah, by the way, <laughs> it's not the Ramones. It's one of those bands." Um, anyway, it, it's about this guy who who dates this woman and, and he really loves her. And then he realizes she's, you know, trans. Oh, okay. Um, but it wasn't, it's not making fun of anybody. It's just like uh, a, a heartfelt story about this confusing relationship. And then at the end, he's like, actually, I fucking love her. She's awesome, you know? <laughs> um, anyway, so point being, the song doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily making fun of anybody. It could be celebrating. Them. Yeah, for sure. So the, uh, so the bars closed down. I told you when I, when I watched, um, the Herzog film encounters at the end of the world and they interviewed the guy who was running the greenhouse. I immediately was thinking that dude is growing weed. He looks <laughs> high for the interview. And also, like, I've been to Alaska, I worked in Alaska, I worked on boats and stuff, like, people find ways to, uh, you know, um, divert themselves and and have a good time, right? But you said that the bars have shut down and they shut down, like, bars shut down? Why? Was it fights or what was happening? Uh, So, you know... Antarctica and McMurdo has had a long history of, you know, alcohol has been a big social tool for people, you know, going out to the bars, socializing that way, you know, 
getting off of work, having some beers with your friends. It was a place to meet and hang out. And they had different things each night. They had live music and karaoke and, you know, normal kind of stuff like that. And I think just over the years, it just kind of got out of hand with like sexual assault with people. And then during the COVID years, I'm pretty sure there was this one story about a woman who was getting sexually assaulted, allegedly, and her life was threatened, and it got to the NSF, you know, the top of the chain. And I think it was a knee-jerk reaction by him to be like, okay, we're shutting that down. It reminds me of a story a friend told me. Uh, she went to high school uh, in in Northern California somewhere, and one day a, a girl was walking across the... Um, like this field uh, next to the school with an umbrella and there was an electrical storm and lightning hit her and killed her. And so the school said, uh, from now on, no one can bring umbrellas to school. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. like It's like you're missing the point. Yep. Sexual abuse is the problem, not the bar. Yeah. yeah. It, it's... And so... It's like killing all the buffalo to fuck over the Indians. You yeah. know? It, it's It's... American. Yeah, it was, yeah. you know, it, it was a big change for everybody because everybody was used to having that outlet. And then right. all of a sudden, you know, boom, the hammer comes down. And so a lot of people have are under the same consensus that the problem's not going to go away just because you shut the bars down. Right. And you stop selling alcohol at the bars. Now what's going to happen is the problems are going to move into the dorm rooms where people can't be held accountable for where there's no witnesses, no witnesses, no security cameras, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, that seems to be the way we do things. Are there rules around interacting with women? I mean, is there anything you sign on the contract that, you know, you won't find a girlfriend down there? Like in the military, I imagine, you know, if you're on a sub or an aircraft carrier, you're like hands off. Yeah. Not really. Like, you know, there's a lot of, <clears throat> we call them island or tropical romances that happen down there. Right. And it's a place where things pick up real fast if you meet somebody you're interested in. Oh, bad. You know, it goes from like zero to 70. <laughs> and it either crashes and burns really hard. Right. Or you guys make it through the season and go travel after and, mm. you know, do that stuff. But usually it's the crash and burn. You know, is there like a, what happens in Antarctica stays in Antarctica sign <laughs> yeah, at the of, airport? Yeah. Or something? <laughs> it's weird that place will uh, make people have that mindset of what happens here stays here. So they're like a lot more; they feel a lot more free to express some of their maybe hidden stuff that they've been holding in. Mm. And it's something about that place being in that community being where you are that really just people kind of just open up their hidden selves that they hide when they're, you know, back in the main world. Now that sounds the way you describe it. That sounds like a healthy thing. Is it, or does it cut both ways? I would say it is healthy. It's a healthy environment. If you want to do that, there's tons of people there that are supportive. You know, if you want to, try something new or go down a new path and, you know, join a different kind of 
community or group. It's totally open. Hmm. Everything's fine. There's no, there's no judgment, you know. I'm a little surprised. I would think it would be more of a kind of macho military, you know, we're tough dudes, fuck you, sissy kind of. Yeah. It's not like that, though. Well, there there is those people because, you know, to go down to Antarctica and to keep going down there, you have to be, I would say, a little bit, you know, crazy and be of a certain breed and have a certain mindset, which is that tough guy, macho, you know, attitude. Don't Don't shave your beard for years and, you know, just have that tough exterior and, you know, you, you have that, that bark exterior or, you know, it's very rigid and there is that for sure. But that personality is kind of slowly fading away. Interesting. Of the old Antarctic explorer kind mm. of uh, personality or, or person. Right. Huh. Cause I guess the adventure now is not so much physical as psychological. Exactly. Like we're not, you know, carrying stuff on our backs to go build a new station, you know, with sled dogs. Right. You know, there's machines for that now and everything's safer and keeps you out of the elements. And yeah, so it's moving away from that old Antarctic explorer kind of mindset and personality. Uh, But, you know, those guys were a different breed of human that explored that continent for the first time they really were what's well, interesting and and actually really encouraging to hear that description of the community as being unusually tolerant and open-minded and supportive that's mm-hmm. not what i would have expected but i'm really glad to hear that's the case yeah me too um because the community aspect there is so important yeah. You know, because you don't have anybody else. You you have your community that everybody relies on each other. Everybody's job is just as important as the other job, right? Because if right. you don't if you have A and not B, then you know nothing works kind of kind of thing. Would you say that people are more generous to one another um because of that interdependence? Yeah, I would say people take more time to get to know people and like sit down and actually have like, you know, real conversations with people. Uh, There's a lot of time to do that there. People are more interested in people's lives. People are more interested in expressing what their skills are and then bringing them to the community, Mm. you know, whatever it could be. So it kind of, I mean, this is my bias, obviously, but it sounds like you're describing something like a primordial hunter gatherer. We're all in this together. We need each other, you know, keep shit civil. If there's conflict, we need to resolve it because there's nowhere else to go kind of feeling Um, like it might bring up things that have been dormant in people for a long time. Yeah, it definitely activates a part of that you know monkey brain in Mm. people that you're immersed and you get thrown into that hunter gatherer kind of mindset where everybody's got their role you know there's the whole aspect of the like the male and the female dynamic that's a big one you see people get very you know monkey brain comes out when it comes to 
the female dynamic. If they have interest set on a woman, um, you see them start acting like monkeys, like you know, possessive, possessive stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I imagine that must be an interesting thing to negotiate. Like a woman's with a guy and then leaves him and now she's with another guy and those guys are running into each other all the time. Yeah. And, um, cool thing about it is, you know, um, the, the women down there kind of, they, they run that show, you know, they get, they're the choosy gender down there, you know, which is awesome. You know, they get to weed out, you know, the, you know, let's say the assholes or the people, you know, who just maybe shouldn't be part of that community. And the women really control that realm of things. That's interesting. Yeah. So they they sort of wield this feminine power. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that's how bonobos work. You know, it's the females run the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And any male who gets out of line, he's not getting any pussy and he learns his lesson pretty quick. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so it's a very effective behavioral modification tool. Yeah. And the, like um, the word of mouth spreads very fast down there. Right. It's called the rumor mill. And how many people are on the base? Like in a winter, how many people are there? Uh, in the winter, it can be as small as like 150 yeah. to maybe 300, right. you know, around there. And summer? Summer can get all the way up to like 1,200. Right. Yeah, um, yeah so even 1,200, rumors are going to, everyone's going to know soon yeah. enough. Yep. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and you know, it runs rampant, and so everything I hear... I, I I don't take with face value. Sure. I'm like, okay, that's funny or that's cool or let's see if that happens. And um, me and my friends like to do something. We start good rumors about people. Oh, that's you cool. know, <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. See if they get around the community. Right, you know? right. That's that's a cool social experiment. <laughs> so you say me and my friends are there. You have friends who are repeat offenders who who keep going back yep crazy so there's some continuity in the community as well there is yeah Yeah. there's a there's the returners that you know like it so much that they keep coming back and me and a few people who i've remained friends with have you know always kind of stuck together down there and it helps get through the season and um yeah my friend andy and i have uh done some you know, awesome things down there as far as like exploring the continent. We both were at a field camp called Waste Divide on the Western Antarctic ice sheet. Is that where you were in a tent for a month? Yeah. You show me that photo. Hey, can we post that photo with this episode? Yeah, absolutely. It's a photo of Nick on the ice next to his tent that he lived in for a month, right? Or it two was months? for about two and a half months. <laughs> two and a half months in a tent wearing a civilized to death hoodie. fantastic fantastic so check out the show notes for that um and what were you doing was that a work thing or were you just off on your own time that was a work thing so that field camp was uh supporting the thwaites glacier research that is like quote unquote the doomsday glacier right yeah and so there was the the field camp which Flights would come in and deliver the scientific supplies. 
and then that would be distributed to the field camp and the scientist, and then they would go out by airframe and by traverse, which is like tractors, to go support the research out there at Thwaites Glacier. And you guys were at a like a distribution point or something? Basically, kind of at like just like an airport. Uh, you know, okay. at, at that season, that the Waste Divide was the busiest airport on the continent. I forgot how many flights came in and out, but we had flights almost every single day delivering scientific research uh, equipment, uh, taking people in and out and stuff right. like that. And it was actually the first time that two nations collaborated for scientific research. So it was the U.S. and the British collaborated to go study this glacier. Right. And this is uh, the glacier, I forget. I, I actually had a guy on the podcast who was uh, an expert in, in these issues, and uh, that was nice because I said something that was wrong, and he sent me this really nice email saying, actually, it's this, and I don't know if you heard that one. He's he taught it. He teaches at um, University of California, San Diego, I think. Really nice guy. Um, anyway, he was explaining. I forget exactly what the mechanics are. Maybe you know, but why is it called the Doomsday? I, I remember if it if it like breaks off to at a certain point, then the whole fucking thing slides into the ocean. Yeah, from and I'm no expert, but from what I understand about that glacier is it's a very it's one of the most fast moving dynamic glaciers on the continent. So, mm. you know, it's moving out into the ocean, like the way it's moving from the continent out into the ocean. And then from what I remember from the research that there's these rock formations under it that are causing it to frack off in big chunks. And then I think new researchers come out about um, like water under it that is accelerating its speed of moving into the ocean right. and melting. Right. Cause yeah. it's like melting from the bottom. And so there's like a lubricant or something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so at that time, this was 2018 after the scientists came back, they did a presentation on the research and they said within 50 years, you know, if this glacier does go into the ocean, it's like three to six feet uh, sea level rise, right. you know, which and, is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal because three feet vertical rise is, you know, 20 to 50 feet uh, tidal in, in, you know, invasion, yep. depending on the landscape. Uh, yeah, that's so what is it that brings people back? Is it this deeper connecting with other humans that then you come back to the world where everyone's distracted and nobody gives a shit and you're like, this is in real life. What's happening here? Yeah, that's a, that's the most crazy aspect of like my experiences, the going back and forth and what changes for me personally is, you know, you're down there, you have no external kind of stimuli, you know, there's no billboards, there's no real traffic, there's no outside stimulus kind of thing and so you get used to having none of that and you go back to the real world and then you're just bombarded with noises sounds colors smells everything and it gets overwhelming you know you kind of get institutionalized down there in a way 
It's like living in Crestone, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Walmart. Oh, you guys have Wi-Fi, I take it. Just recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Starlink, you know, came along and is providing the station with uh, with Wi-Fi service. And, you know, so it's really weird to see people on their cell phones because that wasn't a thing, you know, a couple of years ago. Really? It's it, just getting to Antarctica. Yeah. That's crazy. And yeah. the the older generation, say, like, the, the returners that have been down there for years, like absolutely don't like it they're, they don't want to see people on their phones and because they're used to having that kind of going back in time community where everybody talked face to face and sat mm. at a table with no phones right and, you know it's times are changing down there do you have like uh, is there a cinema is there a movie night or something there people host their own in different lounges and then there's um kind of a cinema at the coffee shop where people play movies like a good one is like a a winter ritual is to watch the movie The Thing (laughs) after the last plane leaves. Oh, really? (laughs) Freak everybody out. Freak everybody out. Yeah. So what what about medical stuff? If somebody has, uh, you know, appendicitis or something, I guess there's a clinic. Is there a doctor on staff all the time? There is a medical clinic that's available like 24 seven for stuff like that. But if it's a real emergency, like appendicitis or somebody has a stroke or a heart attack, they got to get medevaced out of there. If there's no flights, they'll make a medevac flight to get the person out. If it's like life or death. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's intense. So how did you, like what series of decisions led you to go there the first time? How old were you? What were you doing? I was in, I was living in Germany at the time and I was like sick of the job I was working at. So I started looking for new things. You're working for an American contractor? I was working on Ramstein Air Force Base as a civilian. All right. But you were like a support to the military base there. Yeah. Right. And I met some contractors, some older guys that I made friends with, and they added me to their like email CCs about all these contract jobs around the world. And I remember getting home one night, you know, looking through my email, seeing Antarctica pop up, and I thought it was spam. I thought it was like, you know, something fake. But I clicked it, it opened it up, and it was funny. It was four... <laughs> I love the idea of Antarctica spam. Like, yeah. What would that be? Like, hey, here's your chance to purchase some land in Antarctica. You know? <laughs> Timeshares in Antarctica. Timeshare, exactly. <laughs> and I remember it was four questions. It was like, you know, are you willing to relocate for work? Can you handle cold, extreme environments? You know, something else, something else. But I said, yes, 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 yes. And then a few months later, I had a phone interview with you know an old supervisor and ended up flying down there for my first time 2016 middle of winter so flying down from new zealand on a military aircraft not being able to see your surroundings after you land and you're so unfamiliar with the place right so you started in the deep end Started in the deep end. Did you have to fly yourself to New Zealand or they covered your flight to New Zealand? They cover the flight from wherever you are to New Zealand. And then you get this military transport. Yep. You're flying in pitch black, midwinter, 50 below zero, 
Welcome to Antarctica, motherfucker. Yep. And wow. I I legit thought I screwed up and I signed up for like a military experiment and I was screwed. You know, like those were the thoughts going through my mind that I was like, whoops, you know, shouldn't have done that, but joined a cult by <laughs> joined accident a cult or something. <laughs> and I remember getting off the plane, you know, you can't, everything's black around you. It's pitch black. It's snow blowing. And then getting in a van and just looking out the window, trying to like set my eyes on something. And there was nothing until I got into town and then it started to feel a little bit more real and okay. And like, I didn't sign up for a crazy military experiment. <laughs> So you say into town, is it, is it like a town with streets and sidewalks or are there, are there, you know, covered tunnels between buildings so that you don't have to go outside if you want to go here or there? Like, how's that? It's uh, just dirt roads or snow roads. We land on the actual sea ice, the planes land on the sea ice and then are transported, you know, about 12 miles to the island. Um, yeah, so that's crazy on its own is landing on the sea ice with right. like, you know, a 100,000 plus pound airframe. But the sea ice is thick enough to handle it. Um, and then you get into town and it's like this old mining town looking place with dirt roads and, you know, it's it's so surreal. It's so strange, but it's... Part of the experience, I guess, too, you know. So if let's say you want to go to the cafe from your room, you got a dorm room. You told me earlier you share with another guy, like a friend, I guess, one of these guys you've been with over the years. So. Yeah. All right. So you want to go to the cafe. You need to gear up and go outside. Yep. Or you can, you know, if you want to. If you can handle it, you can get your flip-flops on and shorts and just run. Oh, really? <laughs> just run real quick to the the main building where the cafeteria galley is. Uh-huh. And that's usually what I do because it's a pain in the butt to get put all those layers on. Right. Go get your stuff, come back, and then take it all off, right. you know, 10 times a day. So you <laughs> put on your flip-flops <laughs> and run? Dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Huh. So if there's anyone listening to this who's thinking, I want to do that, that sounds awesome. Is there, uh, is there like a, an employment agency or is there something you would recommend like, yeah, before you do this, maybe go do that kind of thing? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a absolutely cool experience you'll you know it's a unforgettable experience of a lifetime um they say the first year you know is for the experience the second year is for the money and the third year is because you don't know what else to do you're hooked you're hooked yeah um there's yeah definitely places to go look to see if you want to apply um online and stuff like that like i would start with the antarctic support contract um, there's McMurdo, there's South Pole, and then there's Palmer Station, which are the U.S. bases. And w- what would you say they're looking for in terms of, both in terms of job skills and personality? Uh, they're looking for people that are able and willing to just stay there, you know, to be the to be a warm body almost. Mm. For most of the jobs, there are jobs that are more specialized where you need a special 
set of skills to, you know, do well in your position. But um, it's hard to get people down there. You know, right. a lot of people don't want to do that, you know. Which is which makes it a great opportunity. If you're a weirdo, but essentially healthy, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And yeah. you might have trouble breaking in, in, you know, uh, a more conventional setting, a place like that, where just being able to handle it psychologically already is a valuable skill. That's a great place to get some experience. Yeah, I would imagine. Absolutely. And a lot of people start in these positions and get on the job training, yeah, you know, and right. they keep moving up and up and up. Like, right. And I think that's awesome. So you, you know? start as like a basic laborer or, you know, whatever handyman, whatever you guys need. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it turns out maybe you get to learn how to you know, forklift driver or some heavy equipment or, you know, some whatever, whatever they need, they're willing to teach you because you're there and they're not going to fly a plumber in from Christchurch. Yeah. It's easier to hire within there than to get from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, So personality, so job skills wise, there's some specialist uh, demands, but it sounds like not a lot. Like if you're young and strong and healthy and willing to work, that's pretty good. Yeah. And you can keep your shit together and know how to be kind to people and, uh, you know, not be a, not be a douchebag. Yeah. You, it's like you either fit in or you don't. It's like sink or swim kind of thing. You know? Right. And it sounds that from the way you described it, like fitting in, you can still be strange. You can still be Oh, yeah. A unique person. You just have to be kind. Yes. Yep. As long as, you know, you have, you know, those basic, decent human qualities, right? Show compassion to each other. Be nice to each other. You know, don't be a douchebag. You'll you'll fit in just fine with everybody. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) That sounds, that's really cool. I kind of wish I were 25 and looking for something to do that sounds like a lot of fun. Do you ever get guys, uh, or, or women, I guess, who have like served on submarines? Cause it sounds like that kind of, there were some similarities there, like being able to go a long time without sun or without being outside. Yeah. There are people, there's, um, a lot of, ex-military people there some of them did work on like submarines some of them even nuclear submarines um a lot of people from alaska that go there a lot of people from wisconsin and like the colder states Uh, right it it attracts that kind of people and those people thrive there pretty well um yeah and then you get people like me from new mexico you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you're still cruising around in your flip-flop so yeah i mean respect (laughs) so you that's cool the body actually develops this layer of brown fat when it's exposed to extreme cold temperatures right which is good for you yeah it's a much denser fat and it keeps you warm and so I'll come back and, you know, be in flip-flops and shorts and people look at me funny. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, this this temperature feels good right now to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a Wim Hof thing. He talks about that brown fat. Yeah. That's really good for your body when you have more brown fat. Interesting. Yeah. Is, is there anything 
funky down there like uh sensory deprivation tanks or cold plunge or saunas or like what kind of there are saunas that just recently got repaired which is huge like people love those you'll see uh people going in and then jumping outside and you know doing the extreme temperature changes there's um cold plunges they used to do that where it was like uh first year initiation where they would tie a rope to you and you would go jump in the sea ice. So there was medical people around in case something happened, but apparently it got too risky and they took that away. You get a leopard seal chomping your leg off. Yeah. You know, that's an, that's a real issue too. Those guys are serious. I've heard stories of researchers out on the sea ice getting their ankles grabbed, you know, and like trying to drag them down and, you know, make them dinner. (laughs) <laughs> man, that would be a tough way to go. Yeah. Dragged off the ice. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, this is awesome. Thank you, man. Is, yeah. Is there anything that uh, that we missed that we should... Yesterday you said you were going to take notes. I'm glad to see you didn't bring any notes. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's been part of my life for so long. It, you know, it just feels natural to just to have a normal conversation about it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a beautiful cold dead place you know and it's it's a crazy experience and it changed me forever you know of how i interact with the world how i retreat to places like cresto now and that's Mm. feels more comfortable to me than like a city um yeah it's been a great experience i hope you enjoyed that conversation with nick chasari soon to be resident of creston colorado i hope um yeah thank you for listening to this podcast and giving me the opportunity to invite people to sit down and just talk for a couple hours uh it's a wonderful wonderful thing it's enriched my life immensely and i couldn't have done it without you so i'm grateful uh i will put uh, nick's instagram handle and a link in the show notes as well as the video which is excellent video to the song i played earlier this is a photograph by kevin morby all right people i will be back with you soon hope it's going well out there bye he said baby what's a big deal feel what you want to feel say what you want to say you're gonna die one day for example i could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time 
Dance into the ground.